Welcome to Inflection Point, the path to IPO, an exploration of technology investing trends across private and public markets. Tech investing has been highly specialized in both the public and private spheres, employing different skill sets and strategies depending on stage, sector, and capital structure. As the investing ecosystem grows and matures, new approaches have begun to blur the lines between seed, early stage, venture, growth rounds, and public markets. A crossover investor is a fund that builds a bridge between private equity and public markets. It operates concurrently on both sides, private and public, and in some cases, perhaps most critically, can serve as a cornerstone in the transition from one side to the other. This strategy has propagated globally with subtle distinctions based on region, risk appetite, and ecosystem rigor. We explore these fundamental market shifts in our written report, which will be released with the final episode of this podcast. During our research, we had the opportunity to interview various thought leaders to get their perspective on these dynamics. Though we include some of the key commentary in our written report, we decided there was tremendous value in sharing the audio recordings with you, the listener, to provide an intimate look through the lens of people operating day in and day out in this space. The first six episodes will feature startup founders and executives sharing their perspective on the path to IPO. In the final episode, you'll hear from industry-leading bankers and investors outlining the best practices they've developed through years of experience overseeing the process. We hope you find these conversations thought-provoking and insightful. This podcast was produced by Revaya, an ESG-focused global growth equity investor headquartered in Europe with offices in Paris and Berlin. The following is not intended as financial advice, and Revaya and guests may hold positions in some of the companies referenced during the show. Linda Rubin is the Chief Investment Officer at Grover, the leading marketplace for technology rentals based in Germany. Their platform enables individuals and businesses alike to rent products ranging from smartphones to drones for monthly fee, a pioneer in what's been dubbed the circular economy. Earning her stripes at Rothschild, Linda went on to serve as an executive director at J.P. Morgan's investment banking division. She then pivoted into tech and corporate venture building before taking on her current role with Grover. Grover has raised an impressive $2 billion with a mix of venture capital and debt financing. In our conversation, Linda shares her perspective on technical IPO preparedness, the importance of timelines, and the value add of crossover investors. Without further delay, I bring you Linda Rubin. Hi, I'm speaking with uh, Linda Rubin, uh, the Chief Investment Officer at Grover. Uh, Linda, thank you so much for, for joining today. Sure, my pleasure. So I wanted to get started in this conversation uh, with a couple of yes or no questions just to orient ourselves with uh, kind of where you are in the stage, uh, your your company stage, uh, and and some of your perspective uh, from your vantage point as the the chief investment officer at Grover. Um, The the first is more of a kind of a personal professional experience question around have you participated in an IPO process before, either as a founder, an investor, or maybe in a previous life as a a banker? (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you have. The, the, the banker, the banker, yes. Okay, great. Um, so I guess the next question is, is uh, fairly obvious then, but uh, on a scale of one to 10, how familiar are you with the, the path to IPO, the process, uh, the, the structure around uh, taking a company public? 10. All right, I like, I like it. Um, and then 
In your current work uh, at Grover, and again, uh, some of this might be proprietary, and and we'll 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 discuss that a little bit later. But uh, is an IPO something that's relevant to the future of the business? Something that uh, you have internal ongoing discussions around? I think an IPO is um, is uh, one of the options for a lot of startups. So we're not um, we're definitely um, thinking about something like that. Sure, haven't ruled it out, and. Uh, in terms of private funding, I, I, I think the last time I checked, you had a Series C or D round? Yes, we had a Series uh, C announced in March this year. Okay. We Great. raised $100 million in equity and uh, $200 million in debt. Okay, fantastic. Great. So I want to move on to some of the kind of more qualitative questions um, around crossover investing. Uh, so first and foremost, what is your definition of a crossover investor? How familiar are you with the, the category? Well, I think for any uh, startup that is looking to IPO at some point, it's a very relevant type of investor. So uh, I think it gives you a lot of um, flexibility. And if you plan an IPO uh, with a crossover investor, the hope is that there's a lot of support for that phase for the actual IPO and potentially support in the aftermarket. And your position in a, at a late stage uh, startup, what is the general climate around uh, founder sentiment on IPOs? Uh, do, do founders these days have an interest in IPOing? Is it a, 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 a typical path to exit? Uh, and especially with the, the recent market downturn, has that impacted any decision making or sentiment around taking a company public? Yes, so I think that in general, IPO is still the favored means of exit. Um, for a lot of the, the startup CEOs that I have talked to, just because it gives you, it gives you the, the potential of an exit uh, without actually having to negotiate a full M&A deal. And I know that's it's also something that a lot of investors frankly expect. Now with the recent market downturn, I don't think this has changed. I just think that uh, this has obviously changed the timeline that people are working towards. So I think we've also seen the, the slowdown in funding and uh, we know that, uh, and, and that's also what the banks are confirming, that the IPO pipeline um, for the next uh, six to 12 months is basically dead. So this has led uh, companies to reevaluate. Uh, we've seen recent um, efforts at uh, cost cutting, at improving profitability, at extending run rate, knowing that any exit event uh, is going to take longer probably than anticipated. Right. Well, you mentioned earlier that uh, seeking out a, a, a crossover investor is, is a kind of a critical component of, of bringing a company public. Um, what, what is the general perception of crossover investors in the late stage startup community? Are they, are they seen as, as gatekeepers or are they seen as accelerants to the process? What kind of expectations do you have around a, a crossover investor to help uh, bring, prepare and, and, and deliver an IPO for a, a late stage startup? I think there's several expectations. One is um, the brand, uh, which kind of gives a stamp of approval also to institutional uh, and retail investors out there. Um, then there's obviously the expectation that a crossover investor has already been part of many IPOs, knows the process, knows how to support that uh, in, in, in kind of the critical decision making. Um, 
And then again, as I said, to, to really support uh, also financially through investments in the IPO, after the IPO. I think these are the critical elements. Now, you mentioned earlier that you have gone through the IPO process, helped take a company public. What does it take? Uh, what, are, what are some of the, the, the steps involved, uh, the, the rigor uh, involved, uh, all of the, the compliance measures? I, I'm sure there's, there's quite a few steps. So maybe you can summarize in, a, you know, in, in relatively short terms uh, kind of what, what the, the process is like and, and how you go about taking a company public. Right. So what I would say is that it's obviously very different depending on the listing location that you choose. And um, it's also very different depending on how prepared the company is. So I would, I would basically um, divide it in two separate areas. One is the technical preparedness. So the tick the box, you need to have the audits done uh, for a certain number of years. Uh, so there's things that you can't get around. You just need to have them ready. And then there's the other layer where some companies who are under time pressure for one or the other reason actually decide to move some of that preparation to after the IPO. And here I'm talking about uh, internal audit functions, for example, where you need to make sure that you have certain controls included in, the, in, in, your, in, your, in your processes, certain documentation, things like that. So I, I would always obviously advise or aim to have as much of the prep before the IPO because otherwise you're just under a lot of pressure you're in the public eye and you're playing catch-up on a lot of processes and um, again even if you're not formally forced to have it all ready by day zero and you never will but obviously the, the better prepared you are the easier this whole process is going to be afterwards. Sure. And what does a, a typical timeline look like? So if, if you were hoping to be completely ready on day zero, uh, if we were to kind of work backwards, what, what would you expect uh, in terms of a, a starting point? So we've seen, uh, we've seen IPOs being pushed through in about three months. That's super ambitious, I think. Uh, requires a lot of dedication also from the management team. You have roadshows, you have... Uh, a lot of time that you need to spend uh, that you can't focus on the on the business at that uh, at the same time so um, probably I would look uh, to extend this timeline a little bit if I were to advise the founder on how to how to plan you also said that there's a, a different approach based on where you're listing um, so a lot of uh, at least historically European companies are listing on the US markets but uh, I would imagine that you know, uh, Euronext and, and other European markets are, are eager to uh, take domestic companies public uh, for a variety of reasons. What, what are the, the different approaches? How do you think about it differently if you're listing in a different location? Uh, and what can a, a European uh, exchange do to attract uh, more uh, IPOs to take place uh, in the region? So I, I think there's basically two determinants here. One is the investor base and the other one is the peer universe. And I think the combination of both has led to a lot of uh, tech IPOs, let's say, in the US. Because um, while in, 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 in theory the investor base is global, in reality it, it, it just doesn't work that way. So. Um, what you, what you can say is that uh, you, you do have kind of a bit of a scarcity value in Europe when you, when you have a, a great tech IPO because you, you just don't have that many here. 
But that's for a reason, because a lot of investors actually still focus on the US primarily. And then the other one is really the comparability. So if you look at the, the traded peers, then obviously, and it's also a volume game here, um, a lot of them are listed in the US and then uh, that makes it just a lot easier for, um, for also coverage, uh, um, equity research coverage, uh, and also for the investors to just, okay, th these are the names that I, that I know well, that I follow, and that I can easily compare you to, so I have a much better sense of, of the valuation, um, taking, to, taking into account the local differences as well. Right? Sure, sure. So I, I'm, I'm curious um, a, a little bit about your expectations from your, your various shareholders as you uh, consider an IPO. As you mentioned before, that... Um, you know, IPO is a, a practical exit strategy for for most startups. Uh, so, you know, theoretically, uh, we can imagine that that's something uh, on the horizon at, at Grover. Um, what what kind of expectations do you have from shareholders, uh, both large and small, to to help you uh, prepare for that process? Uh, and perhaps, are there are there any uh, concerns around uh, getting uh, your 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 entire cap table on board with a, with an IPO? So I think, as, as I mentioned earlier, I think essentially every investor investing in a startup at some point uh, requires an exit. Um, you have funds that are being dissolved, uh, you, that are looking for um, even even uh, opportunity to do a secondary, but that obviously is not uh, primarily how you want to exit. Um, so I think all the investors um, that, that you have on board as a startup typically are not against an IPO. There's there's some obviously that have uh, different views about that, but I think that's that's then going into very particular situations. So in general, everybody is probably expecting that, and I think uh, something like a trade sale or something uh, is still the exception today. Okay. Now, as someone who's been on kind of both sides of the the coin as a as a banker helping to take a private company public. Uh, and now at a startup as the chief investment officer, uh, you know, kind of overseeing the, the process. Uh, how, how do you think about um, the, the current market for private valuations? Uh, we've seen, I mean, uh, we talked a little bit about the, the downturn earlier and uh, some of the, the contraction in, in private valuation pricing. Um, but from your point of view as someone who's, uh, you know, evaluated both public and private markets, um, do you think there's a big discrepancy in private valuations versus uh, versus public? Are there going to be challenges with uh, some of the companies that have raised uh, quite a bit of funding in the past several years going public at a price that they're comfortable with? So I think what's very clear is that any investor that is investing in a late stage company is looking at a potential IPO valuation to benchmark uh, what they're willing to pay for the company, mm. right? And that benchmark is then, again, typically done with some publicly listed peers. So you have situations where this is, this is um, going a bit out of control when there's a particular hype in a particular sector. So we see, we've seen that with, um, let's pick buy now, pay later, because um, it, it's just been very, very dramatic uh, on that front with regards to the multiples. But that's basically how typically private uh, investors would also look at private um, investments. So obviously, and I think there is um, probably some sort of time lag involved here, but then if public valuations go down, 
this will always at some point also have an impact on uh, what investors are, are willing to pay in private markets. Obviously, a little bit more complex and it depends a little bit on the performance of, on, of the individual company. Um, it depends a little bit on the on the scarcity of that investment opportunity being available and the, the, the demand on the investor side. So it's not very clear cut, but you can't just decouple it because, it, again, essentially, you will always count on there being a successful exit at some point. Right. Great. Well, I, I think that's all of the questions I have. Uh, unless there's any other thoughts or musings on the, the current IPO market, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. But otherwise, uh, I'll give you back a little bit of time and uh, say thanks again for, for joining. No, it was my pleasure. So yeah, unfortunately, again, with the current IPO market being non-existent, I think um, <laughs> we're just all very uh, keen to see um, uh, what, what's going to happen in future and how long this, this kind of period is going to continue like that. Great. Well, thanks again for joining, Linda, and uh, have a good one. My pleasure. Thanks, Kat. Thanks for joining us for this conversation with Linda Rubin, the Chief Investment Officer at Grover. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe and find new episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow along to gain exclusive access to the written report. See you next week for another episode of Inflection Point, Path to IPO. 